Well, I have hit record and I have lines. I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. I'll see you again in 20 years. Meanwhile, wondering if my foot may not, in fact, be my foot. I'm Jasmine Lila. And asking, how are you today, Johnny? <laughs> I'm Mel's. <laughs> Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Tuesdays. This week we're covering season three, part nine, This is the Chair, and part 10, Laura is the One. Listeners, the conversation around this dinner table is very lively today, so let's rock. I understand. Okay. Okay. That was my best electronic voice I could, I could bust her at. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. I don't know if you could tell. I was like trying to keep, uh, trying to keep a straight face while I was saying, welcome to Twin Peaks Tuesdays. But, yes, oh, man. I enjoyed it. I love it. All right, well, let's dive into part nine. Uh, I got to be honest right up front. This is not one of my favorite episodes of the season. It's, um, I mean, I don't know how you follow part eight. That's hard. That's a rough, mm. that's, a, that's a tough act to follow for sure. Um, but for me, this episode, I feel like the sequence of things are a little strange um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in that strange Twin Peaks way that I love, but I don't know. It feels, um, it's like it's a bunch of vignettes, uh, sort of mashed together. And I like, I still admire it for being wholly unique and unto itself and all of that, but it just, the flow of this episode isn't one that I've always liked. However, it has probably my favorite scene in the entire season. I don't know if I can say that there's so many good scenes, but it has one of my favorite scenes with Bill Hastings. It's This is the scene that I've been waiting for you to see. I love this bit from Matthew Lillard. It is so amazing. And I really like the introduction of uh, Hutch and sort of his dynamic with Chantel. So we'll get to that. What yeah. did you think overall of this episode? You know, I agree with you. It did just feel like a bunch of like short stories in an episode and um, I didn't mind it but like you said it's definitely not my favorite that I've seen so far um, which almost kind of pains me to say because so far I've been on a (laughs) I know I've been on a roll with like each episode I'm like gosh this was better than the last one this was better than the last one and then this one it just felt Maybe a little clunky to me. There were just some parts where there was some lingering, and I was like, okay. it And, you know, and I know that that's the style of the show. It just seemed a little more disconnected than I'd seen before when we get those moments. And one of the ones I'm thinking of is, like, in the police station, and we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about it. Mm-hmm. But there was just this little moment of, you know, just – the Fusco brothers looking at each other and it just kind of being like, 
we can move this along just a little bit here. You right. know, it, yeah. it's not, it's definitely no sweeping scene. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. And what's fascinating is that like the sweeping scene just goes on and yet I'm so intrigued by it. But with the Fusco yes. brother, like with the, yeah, the detective Fusco, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm good now though. Like we can move <laughs> along. Um, yeah, it's, it's so fascinating to me because part eight is like this, you know, we talked about it. It's so big in its scope and it's so like abstract and it's like we've been, I don't know, up in an airplane or like a jet or something, something moving really, really fast, but like high above the ground. And then all of a sudden we're down back in reality and it feels Mm. weird. It's like, we're still readjusting to what it's like to be in a quote unquote normal episode of television again if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, it's just, it's like a bit of a bumpy landing, but I almost wonder if that's in itself purposeful, you know? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, I agree. And, and maybe it is just the disappointment of episode eight being so epic. Mm-hmm. And then you, you're, you have a lot of thought, you have a lot of like deep meaning in that. And it really kind of takes you to this certain place where you're just like, wow, all of these, you know, what ifs and is this what this means? Just a lot of deep thought. And then, yeah, so maybe it's that hangover episode, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's Mm -hmm. like, even though it's got great parts to it, it just is a, a little bit, of a harder episode because it's coming off of such, such an epic one, right? Yeah. Yep, I agree. All right, well, let's, I think we should start off with, I've just got here, it's an unknown location, but we're with Mr. C, um, and he's catching up with Chantal and Hutch and sends a very interesting text message. So uh, not that it means much or it could mean so many things, but just noticed another red piece of something, the red bandana sort of uh, flagging Mr. C that they were there. But uh, yeah, Chantal and Hutch. So what did you think of Hutch? Because we like we very briefly met Chantal before, but what did you yeah. think of them in this episode? Well, I love Hutch. I don't know what it is about him. Could be because it's the it's Tim Roth and he's like one of my favorite actors. Oh, well, there you but, go. But did, there was something about him where I was just like, I, and it, I don't know if you're supposed to like this character, um, kind of like Mr. C, but I was just like, wow, I he looks like a man that's going to get the job done. He's yes. very, like, straightforward, and he's <laughs> like, okay, you need this? Here you go. I got it for you. Yep. Oh, you need me to, you know, get rid of the phone? Boom, it's gone, you know? And and then he's he like— and such then a good work ethic, you know? He he's does. Just, yeah, he's very dedicated, very loyal. <laughs> and he's very— uh, I want to say nice, too, because he's like, in the main road's right up there. So, you know, (laughs) here's some directions to get along your way as well. (laughs) He's so, like, I don't know. I've I've never seen henchmen that were like Chantal and Hutch, you know? Like, they're just, they're, like, really bubbly, excited people that do really awful things. Exactly. Like, it's very clear that they've killed the people that own this property. You know, they're sleeping out back, as they said. Um, And he's like, kill a warden? Great. And then he's, like, even more excited at the idea that there's going to be a doubleheader in Vegas. I think the line (laughs) is like, all right, let's play two. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, that's why I was saying he's just so to the point, and it's like, Oh, you know, there's something likable about this guy. Oh, and the so fact likable. that Chantal sends um, 
Mr. C off with a bag of Cheetos. I don't know, like That's that horrible. whole the whole the whole scene to me. I was just like, this is amazing, and it's like three of the probably worst people that yes. you know are are characters in in the show. But I was like, I'm here for it. I love it. Yeah, I love when uh, Chantal calls Mr. C a sweetheart because oh, I, I think that does so much to tell you like where Chantal's head is at and her perspective on the world. Because if she thinks this guy is a sweetheart, I mean, (laughs) I like, it's just, it's so, it's so removed from my view of the world. So it's just very interesting. But yeah, yeah, I love, I love these three. I, we're going to see more of Chantal and Hutch. They're great. So. I love Um, it. But yeah, I guess we should just say I mean, maybe we'll get into the text later when the other person Mm. receives it. I guess one thing I do want to mention about the text Mm -hmm. is the way that he sends it. And we'll just, I'll just mention this here and then we'll come back to it. It is all in lowercase Mm -hmm. and there's no punctuation. And I just, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. So when we come back around to it. Even though I'm upset about some things, there might be an explanation for this because I've, you know, I do a lot of watches of the episodes. Yes. And so first yeah. couple of times around, I was super pissed. And then I, when I got to my third viewing, I was like, all right, let's think a little more sensible this time yes. around. Okay. Nice. No, good catch. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. I've never, I've never read anything like it. You don't know you weren't there. It, it was beautiful. All right, well, let's head to some scenes in South Dakota. Threads are converging as the FBI, military, and Buckhorn Police Department come together for the Major Briggs case. Love is in the air at the morgue, and former Marbles champion Bill Hastings wishes he could just go scuba diving. Oh. I know. I can't wait to get to that. But let's let's start in the airplane. Uh where they get a call from the Pentagon. They're getting looped in on the whole uh, Major Briggs thing. And I have to just come out and say that I have been completely incorrect about every time I've said that we're going to head to Buckhorn, South Dakota, when we talk about Gordon Cole and Tammy and Albert, because, uh, I mean, I know I've mentioned that they were in Philadelphia, but not once have they been in Buckhorn, because in this episode, I I was like, he talks about Buckhorn, like he's never been there. And then I had to like stop the episode, think about it, and go... Okay, so clearly I have no concept of American geography. Where is Buckhorn? (laughs) Well, I don't think Buckhorn actually exists. Maybe it does. I couldn't find it. But it turns out they were more like six hours away wherever Yankton is. And, you know, I I should have mentioned that I I do know that he was in Yankton Federal Prison. But anyways, I got my, my South Dakota stuff mixed up. We were never actually there when we were talking about the FBI. But we are about to head there. So just so we all know. Well, that's okay, because listen, I didn't make that connection either. I was thinking <laughs> that just Yankton was the name of the prison and that right. it was somewhere around Buckhorn because mm-hmm. of everything that went down, you know, in the earlier parts of the season. So don't even sweat it. Don't worry about it. I was a little confused, too, when I when I saw the phone call and I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean you haven't been to Buckhorn? I just right. tried. <laughs> yeah, like when he said Buckhorn, I was like, 
Gordon, you were just there. Is this like know, another one like, of your like hearing tricks? But I was yeah, like, so you're then, leaving there. I know. What are you talking about? Yeah. I was like, why is he telling Diane that they're going? Why doesn't he just say we got to go back? And back. I was like, all right, clearly I've missed something. Um, <laughs> but basically, yeah, just the scene in the airplane, they're getting looped in on the Major Briggs stuff. They find out that Cooper flew the coop and, and they're headed back. Nope. They're headed for the first time to Buckhorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When they're on the airplane, because I I didn't really make notes about this until my second viewing, but she looks at her phone and it says blocked. Mm-hmm. Now, was that just because they're in the air and she doesn't have Wi-Fi or was she getting a phone call or am I just way off base here if it's oh. like a throwaway? That's good. I didn't, I didn't think about it being a blocked call. I thought... Um, Maybe it was like, you know, sometimes um, at like a school or a certain business, like especially if you work there, they'll have like certain websites blocked, like social media, because they don't want you going on social media like while you're working. You know what I mean? Um, So I just wondered if because they were in an FBI plane, they had certain things blocked. But I like the idea of a blocked call. I hadn't thought about it like that. I mean, it could be. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we actually got any type of indication that it would be ringing like I didn't hear it Mm, vibrating mm -hmm. I didn't hear anything like that but it just made me wonder okay yeah that's true too I just didn't know if it was blocked because I was thinking okay so they're in an FBI plane and maybe just everyone's phones are blocked while they're up in the air because even the calls from the Pentagon are on like a radio type yes. thing. It's it's on like a government issued type phone. It's not a regular cell phone. So, yeah. but it just it just had me wondering, especially because of later on when we get to the you know the text. But yeah, of course. I mean, it at least establishes that Diane is paying attention to her phone and is possibly yes. waiting for something. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when they arrive at the morgue, I love the way Gordon says the waiting room, like, I know what a weird thing to say, but I mean, and then, uh, Diane wants to smoke and they're like, you can't smoke here. And she's like, it's a fucking morgue. Oh my God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Her lines are amazing as well. Like yeah. I love everything that comes out of her mouth. I mean, from the, the fuck yous to the, it's a fucking morgue, fucking pansies. I'm just <laughs> like, I can't get enough of her. I know. I Laura love Dern her so, so much. great in this role. Yeah. Diane in general, I need this outfit. Like, those pants, that, oh. like, jacket blouse type thing, the flats. I mean, she just has such great style. She sure does. I love it. I love it. I feel like the only thing I love more is the love connection between Constance and Albert. It's so cute. And you you gotta know that Constance is really, really good at her job because Albert makes no comment about her work. And Albert is constantly making comments about, uh, you know, like local police and their work. You know, mm-hmm. so yep. and the fact that they're joking with each other. I mean, we see where it goes in the next episode, but it's so it's just so cute. And of course, they're going to have it. a love connection in the morgue. Like, of course. 
I love it. I really do. And I love how they played off each other with the joke about the marbles. When yes. did he lose his marbles? You know, and she was like, oh, I, it was just, it was super cute. I, I know her it. eyes lit up. Like, finally, yes. somebody is into my, <laughs> like, dark humor here, you know? Exactly. And it would be Albert of all people. Yes, exactly. I know. It's so good. We can talk about the text here, maybe? Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so when she does look at her phone and see the, it's the same words, it's the same message, but it's in all capitals, and I believe there's punctuation in there. Yeah. So it's not exactly the same way, which made me, at first I was like, first watch was, Diane, how could you? I was clutching my pearls. (laughs) Okay, I was like, you are working with this man, and oh my gosh, did you put on like that in the jail when you had your interview with him? Oh, so many thoughts were written. I had to pause, mm-hmm. okay? And I had to really try to take it in because I was super pissed at her. Yeah. Um, second time around, I was like, okay, it's not exactly the same, all right? And then I started thinking, is she working with him or is there a middle person like a mole or something that would send her what the message is that's being uh that he's sending out in some way or form i don't know how that could be possible but regardless i was super upset with her and then i made myself feel better by coming up with this theory that Maybe she's actually trying to get information and there's some middle person in some way, shape, or form. I don't Mm -hmm. know how that would play out yet or if it even will. But I was like, I just can't be mad at Diane, but I am (laughs) and I I don't like this feeling. (laughs) Well, I – so – I just, I don't think that she, I don't know. There was some real emotion in that interview when she met, not interview, but when she met Mr. C. Right. I I tend to believe that that was all genuine. I really don't think that she, I don't know. I just don't get the sense that she's putting any of that on. And I wonder, like, now that you're talking about, or now that you brought up the idea of what if it was like a blocked call or something, I wonder if... The middleman idea, I think, is on the table for sure because she's getting the text in a different format. I mean, right. not only does Mr. C send it from a, a flip phone uh, with all small letters, no punctuation, Diane receives it as an iMessage, right. all capital letters with punctuation. So between sending and receiving, something has happened for sure. But I also wonder, like, if... Maybe Diane's not working with him, but she's intercepting the the text somehow. Like, it's being redirected to her from somewhere, or, mm. like, you would redirect an email, or these are, like, right. unsolicited texts in a way. Um, and somehow between them seeing each other again, he got access to her somehow, because we know he has some sort of, like, tech magic stuff, although, like, I don't know if some of that disappeared after what happened with Ray and and the woodsman and everything. But, I mean, yeah, I think the point is between Mr. C sending and Diane receiving, something has happened. There's been, like, some broken telephone, essentially, along the way. But we don't know, like, the genesis of all of it. Yes. Okay. All right. I like that. All right. 
I like well, it. Well, we'll have more to talk about it in the next episode as well. I mean, a little bit more anyway. Yeah. Um, but okay, let's move on to the Bill Hastings stuff. So when I had said there's going to be a scene coming up with Matthew Lillard that I'm just in love with and I can't wait for you to see it, this was it. And I think I had said that he did it in one take, but I found his, he had tweeted about it like when the episode first aired and I eventually found it and it was two takes, which makes sense because there was different camera angles and stuff. But still, he did this scene in two takes. I think He's that's amazing. incredible. He's amazing. I'm telling you, most underrated actor right yes. here. Yes. One of the most, for sure. I mean, it's just, oh, I like, I found myself crying a little bit while yeah. watching this because his distress and confusion uh, mm-hmm. and the fear is just so real. There's something really mesmerizing about whatever he is doing in this scene because parts of it come off like, is Bill Hastings acting? Like, is he putting something on? Or is this, is Matthew Lillard, like, very consciously um, putting more into Bill Hastings' act than his actual acting as Bill Hastings? Like, does that make sense? It just feels like it's so layered. Like, he's trying to do so many different things. And it just, you come out of it feeling really bad for him, I think. Like, I, but also... There's also a part of me that's like, you idiot. Like, you had no idea what you were getting into. You were researching this zone stuff. You and Ruth were like, just rookies at this shit. You know, like, FBI agents and people who have been into the occult for their entire lives uh, are the people that have been trying to get into these spaces. And you are just a school principal and a librarian who run a blog. Like, you did not know what you were up against, but I feel bad in that sense, too, because they had no clue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, the acting, I felt frantic Mm -hmm. watching it because I was like, wow, what? I mean, it, it forced me in some way to put myself in his shoes, if that makes sense. Like, the acting was so on point that I sat there thinking, oh my gosh, like this is really what it has to feel like when you've been, when you're sitting in jail and you're being accused of something and you're telling the truth and it sounds so fucking crazy, right? Yeah. That even though, you know, they know about Blue Rose and things like that, you know, the FBI, but I mean, it's just, like you said, how can a high school principal and a librarian tap into this alternate dimension. It's just, it's crazy. And I, I got upset at some points too, when I thought I was going to cry and I was just (laughs) like, and I know we've talked about, you know, my four-year-old was really into Scooby-Doo and he plays Shaggy on on that. But when he was talking about, going scuba diving (laughs) i just have to point this out because i wouldn't be me if i didn't the way he says scuba diving (laughs) all i could think of was scoob and i was like oh man i mean like he you know it's his voice obviously but (laughs) i had to stop i did pause on the scuba diving i had a great chuckle and then i refocused myself but then he said it again and i was like okay (laughs) 
But that whole that whole part too, where he was like, "I loved her," and we were going to go to the Bahamas oh. and sip sip mixed drinks and go scuba diving, and I was just like, "Oh man, wow!" I mean, and even though Albert was like fruit cake, anyone, I was like, "Albert." Ugh, that that line from Albert has always bothered me. Like, we I could have slapped him. I know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the whole, even the way that, that he says we were going to sit on the beach and drink mixed drinks. There's something about using the words mixed drinks that makes him feel really innocent. And not necessarily, um, maybe the word I'm looking for more is naive, like right. young. Like it gives him a very like, oh, you you just were in so over your head with this. Like you just yep. had no idea. Like you are really a simple small town man. Perhaps. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you just had this interest in the occult and and weird shit. And I'm like, maybe this would be me one day. I don't know. Because, like, I'm interested (laughs) in weird shit. And what if I got caught up with, like, some major, like, some military figure? And But... Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's it's just such an excellent scene. I love the way that they send, or I love the fact that they send Tammy in to do the interview. Because I think that, I mean... Not that I think Bill Hastings, I really don't think in any way he is guilty for anything. I think he was legitimately looking into this stuff and, and was just at the wrong place, the wrong time, put his put his foot too far in, you know? But yep. I think that sending Tammy in made him more open and more vulnerable because she has a much nicer face than, let's say, Gordon Cole or Albert, <laughs> a much more um, compassionate face. You know, something, because especially when he says, can't you help me? I need you to help me. Like, that is the person. You wouldn't say that if it was Gordon Cole. You wouldn't say that if it was Albert, you know? No, I think he would be super scared if one of them went in there Mm -hmm. to try to talk to him. So sending Tammy in is is a plus because she's got a calming, soothing, you know, nature to her. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And then he, there's more of that stuff. You know, we talked about this before, like when we first really met Bill Hastings, I think the, the whole, um, betraying yourself in a dream, but then it being real and how scary that is. And he mentions that again, where he, I I think they gave the coordinates to major Briggs. And then he mentions that he started floating upwards. His head was gone, but then (laughs) Ruth was dead. And then he woke up at home and, it, that's just so terrifying to me that, you know, I don't know if you've had dreams like where you do something crazy and in an instant your life has completely changed and you like you can feel it in your gut in the dream that you have really fucked up. Um, yeah. But sort of like not within your own control, you know. And so exactly. I do wonder if like maybe he did kill Ruth, but not him like somebody was using his body or his consciousness or something Ooh. to kill Ruth I, well very well could be because like you said then he woke up at home and it was like what yeah you know yeah and I think he was genuinely surprised to learn that Ruth had actually died yes so I was about to say I I got that it was a genuine what are you talking about mm-hmm. when they first told him that yeah, but oh man, I'm I'm sort of sad that the scene has come and gone because now we don't have it to look forward to. But I'm glad that Ugh. you've seen it. I know that you love so good. Matthew like I do. I mean, there was there was moments in this too where I was thinking about um, Stu as well from Scream, just the way he was saying certain things and like the way he can make his mouth sort of droop. 
it yes. really reminds me of when Stu was stabbed. And, like, you've already brought it up, the scene where he's like, <laughs> feel a little woozy here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's the way that this might sound gross, but... If you put yourself in a situation where you could be highly upset, um, either A, you just got stabbed and you're hurting, or B, you're in an interrogation room with FBI and you're upset and you're crying and you're frantic, I would imagine that you would have like a lot of spit in your mouth. I said this was gross. And he has a really good way of it being so real because that the way that he talks and it's just like you see some spit going everywhere and you can tell it's in his mouth and he's so upset it's it's just that whole dynamic he's Mm -hmm. just amazing at that he's He's amazing really really good at that yeah i know i really wish this this guy would get more work like I, i know and not just you know, it's all well and good that he's in Scooby-Doo. I think that's great. But I want to see yeah. him get more, like, meaty roles like this. Yes. look what he can do with it. And in two takes. It's and so in two great. takes. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. The only other thing I want to say about this scene. Oh, sorry. I've actually got two things. Um, the first, could you tell what date he wrote down? Oh, I sure could. And okay. I wrote it down. Yes. What was it? I was going to say 929, I believe. It is 929. Okay. I couldn't tell because I was trying to compare his nines to see if it was mm-hmm. just like a, like he just dragged the pen in a weird way because I really couldn't tell if it was 920 or 929. So it was 929. Right. That's good to know. <laughs> um, yes, and it then is. the final thing is what do you think? Like, I think we're going to get more of this in the next episode, too. But Tammy, she's so fidgety. She never stops moving. I know. I know. Well, that the whole time that Diane was, like, outside smoking, yes. I guess she got tired of smoking inside. And so <laughs> she did go outside. And Gordon and her have that moment. But she was moving the entire time. The entire time. And I was like, late. I mean, like... Are you that uncomfortable that Gordon is going to take a drag of this smoke? Or, like, just stand still for a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is super fidgety. It's during the Bill Hastings interview. It's during the stuff outside smoking where you just see that. I don't know if it's if it's that she's not. I think this is the first thing that that actress has been in. Um, cause I think she's a singer. So I don't know if it was David Lynch giving her these cues. I don't know if it was a choice on her part. I don't know if it's written into the script, but it is distracting at points how much she just keeps moving around. Yeah. Like she's well, constantly I mean, uncomfortable or something. That's exactly it. And it's to the point where you notice it. I mean, because in oh, that yeah. scene, the focal point is, I'm assuming, supposed to be between Gordon and Diane. But the whole time she's moving around, and I'm like, I'm not paying attention to Gordon <laughs> and Diane like I should be. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I like I like the character still, and I enjoy yeah. the other choices that she makes. But sometimes I just want her to just be still. Yeah, it's like still. a it's like a kid that's had too much sugar. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> exactly what it's like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, any other thoughts on that smoking scene? I mean, for me, I just feel like 
that is David Lynch talking about how he like has had to give up smoking. <laughs> yes, yes. I I like it. It was probably like a little farewell for him where he's like, "Okay, that was it. No, I right? don't want any more." Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I don't know. A lot of people gave that scene a lot of shit because it just it does kind of just linger. I don't I didn't mind that lingering as much as I I was frustrated with the detective's Fusco lingering. Um, yeah. But this one just felt like a, I mean, if Tammy hadn't been so fucking fidgety, it was just like a really kind of a sweet moment between old friends almost. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, speaking of Detectives Fusco, then let's head over to Las Vegas. Uh, (laughs) More of Dougie's backstory is kind of revealed, and it looks like Ike's spiking days are now behind him. So... (laughs) The detectives Fusco, I mean, these guys are so useless. I swear they share about half a brain between the three of them. Their energy (laughs) is so tiring to me. I don't know. And I, like, I think it's very purposeful that there's nothing distinctive about these three men. They are all just tall, sort of overweight white men who all have the same last name uh, as I said, they sort of share a brain, um, and I, I think there's something really purposeful about that because we get such defined, specific 3D characters from people in Twin Peaks on a right. sheriff's department or cops or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I just think that it's very purposeful. That said, I still find myself not enjoying stuff with them. Like, I just, I don't know. They're They're getting on my nerves this time around. Yeah, it's like the th- there was one part where they were like, remember the Australian guys with the pliers and you know, then they had the laugh and I don't know. I I just kind of like you, I was like, all right. I mean, I kind of want to move on from this. <laughs> like, yeah. This is yeah. not this is not how I want this to go right now. I want you to know more about Dougie. I want you to Right. You know, I want that to start picking up, and I don't know. I mean, they're like boobs, but not like boob boobs. But, <laughs> you know, like how sometimes you can call somebody a boob, sure. you know? Yeah. That's what I feel with them. They're just like three bumbling boobs that yes. are just like, Ooh. They're just like so blank. Yeah. You know? And it's interesting because like that line in particular about, oh, remember the guy with the pliers or whatever— it feels very similar to when uh, Gordon Cole went to visit Denise at the FBI headquarters, and he yeah. has that little interaction with, like, I don't know, Denise's, like, assistant or something, or secretary, I'm not sure, where he asks, like, oh, did you ever solve that thing with so-and-so, or how's that going, or whatever. It feels very... Um, just like natural conversation, the way that two people who know each other would talk without a camera on them, right? And yet mm-hmm. it works for Gordon and it doesn't work for the Fuscos. And I yeah. I don't know it's, if it's because we know Gordon, we like Gordon. Um, but yeah, it feels the same but comes off different. Yeah, for sure. And you're right. I mean, it, the other scene with Gordon and, and uh, Diane's assistant, it did just feel more natural than... Mm. And I don't... And it's, like you said, it's probably purposeful because you just sit there and and you're just like, but why though? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, the conversation between Gordon and the assistant was him asking about something that 
you know, wouldn't be too hard for us to figure out. It's an ongoing case that somebody's been working on. But then the thing with the, you remember the Australian guy with the pliers? I was like, but I don't even, I'm not even really interested in knowing what that means. Yeah. I don't know. It's almost like it's too, it's too inside jokey for it to, for yeah. it to work. But anyways, yeah. what I do like from this scene though, is what we get from uh, Dougie's boss, Bushnell, because he just comes off. He comes off similarly to how Janie E comes off in that, like, he cares for Dougie and he's, um, I don't know, he just respects him and mm-hmm. will will go to bat for him. And you sort of see him, like, clenching his fist a little bit, like he's ready to be, like, his boxer self again, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like but he that. also lets us know, like, okay, so here's another thing about Dougie. He's been at Lucky 7 Insurance for 12 years, and just before that, he was in a car accident. So, you know, he kind of has these weird, um, what did he even call them? Like, he just... Maybe he didn't even say anything about it. Maybe he just mentioned the car accident thing. But that does start to fill in the gaps there. And then, of course, we learned that there's, before 1997, there's, like, no information on Dougie. So, I don't know. I didn't know if I should call that a backstory or a lack of a backstory. But it definitely starts to fill in some gaps. Yeah, yeah. He told him that he was a little slow after the Mm, car accident. Uh, slow and steady, maybe, is what he said. And then, of course, they had that emphasis on the slow, you know. Oh, and that right. was another, that was another part where I was like, hey, shut up. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> like, hey, shut up. Guys. Don't talk about Dougie like that. <laughs> like, I, I think I've changed my viewpoint on Dougie a bit because at first I was like, okay, I just want Cooper to be back. And now I'm like, I don't know, Dougie's growing on me and I don't yeah. want to see him. I don't want to see him go. I mean, I do, but I don't. You know, like he's still. Well, true, true. It's really Cooper, but the whole Dougie persona, I'm just like, hey, don't you talk about Dougie like that. I know, because Dougie, (laughs) I mean, this Dougie, anyway, has done nothing wrong. Exactly. He's so innocent. Leave him alone. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then there's like that little moment where he sees. Uh, where he's like sort of staring at the corner where the American flag is and then some red shoes walk by. Uh, yeah. And then he focuses in sort of on the electrical socket. But what did this bring to mind for you, if anything? Oh, well, I mean, about him coming out of the electrical outlet? Sure, yeah. Whenever I see red shoes, I always think of Audrey because of that scene. Oh, I think Audrey, in the pilot yes. where she changes, like she wears one she, pair of shoes to school, but then when she gets there, she changes. She into puts the, the red ones. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Uh, it, that did remind me of Audrey. I was focusing on the electrical outlet because oh, I thought sure. for sure. Yeah. I thought for sure that he was going to look at that electrical outlet, and I don't know, like some spark was going to come out, and then all of a sudden <laughs> he was going to be Cooper again. Like I keep waiting for these moments that happen yeah. to Dougie for him to like snap out of it. He obviously he hasn't yet, but I, and I, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I'm start. We're on like, you know, nine and 10 at this point. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm actually ever going to see Cooper again. Like Cooper, not Dougie. Yeah. I think this me is feel where that I way. started to just sort of be like, <laughs> okay, you know what? Like, I'm going to accept it. Yeah. Let's just wait and see what happens. I'm going to stop counting the minutes, you know? Exactly. Like, after the electrical outlet thing and nothing changed, I was like, you know what? And that's when something changed in me. And I was like, I'm not minding Dougie as much anymore. I'll keep up with the Dougie. 
storyline, and I won't complain about it anymore. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, yeah, definitely was focused on the electrical socket. I also just like the way that the shoes kind of led to him looking back at the electrical socket because, of course, he yeah. left his shoes behind when he went through the electrical socket. So I just liked the little, I don't know, nod to that connection there. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then really the only thing left to talk about in Las Vegas is that Ike the Spike has been uh, <laughs> probably apprehended and will will not spike again, hopefully. Will we'll not spike again. <laughs> I do have to say, I did have a bit of a chuckle at the Fusco brothers when they said, we've got your palm prints. And then they said, we've got your whole palm. Yeah. <laughs> I did chuckle at that. I was like, all right, I'm going to give you that one. But yeah, yeah. that's it. But that was set up for them. That was easy, you know? Like, oh, Dougie sure. did all the yeah. tough work with that, squeezing off his that's hand. True. So. Like a Like a cobra. <laughs> Dougie did it all. All right, well, let's head over to Twin Peaks, where chairs hold secrets, body parts are revolting and revolting, and maybe it is about the bunny after all. So let's start off at the sheriff's department slash the Briggs's household. Uh, First, we just have like a quick little scene between Andy and Lucy and picking (laughs) a chair. And I got to say, their conflict resolution is strange, but I admire it. You know, like this is this is goals to to get through an argument so um, steadily and yeah. quickly. Good for them and cal- and calmly. Yeah. You know, it's like no, I like the red chair. Yeah, you know, and she's like, well, I like the beige one. He's like, I'm sorry, pumpkin. You know, and then she ends up ordering the red one anyway. So. I know, and I like, I kind of like that. That's going to be a cute little surprise for Andy when it arrives. Yeah. You know? And she spins around in her chair, and I'm like, She's I so love excited. you so much. <laughs> I know. I love those two. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's head over to the Briggs's house. Yes. This is some amazing stuff. I love the fact that Major Briggs knew that all of this was coming. I mean, this is right in line with that scene that we had with him, I think, in season two, where he tells Bobby that he had seen his son in the future and and he was living a great life and he knew that he had done all that he could. And so clearly that was not only or that wasn't the only vision of the future that Major Briggs had. Like he had quite a lot of them because not only did he uh, prepare his wife to give this little, I don't even know what you call it, like this little, I don't I know. just called like, it a cylinder. Yeah, the cylinder to his son. Uh, he knew that Hawk would be there and uh, Sheriff Truman would be there, but he even instructed Bobby on how to be able to open one of these cylinders, right? And yeah, yeah. the whole Jackrabbit's Palace thing, which is why I say maybe it is about the bunny, but the fact that he would... Um, take his son there as a child like you wonder how long major briggs has been i don't know time traveling or having visions Uh or being like how long has he known some of this stuff and how far back into bobby's life does it go that he was trying to prepare his son for his you know role in all of this in the future like it's really i don't know it feels really epic i'm it's very exciting 
It is. And I fully believe that it's time traveling that he's been doing. Well, and when I say time traveling, I mean he's going to an alternate dimension. We and already we know, know that. that. Exactly, yeah. And so in this alternate dimension, though, where, you know, is it future? Is it, you know, time doesn't pass? You can see certain things into the quote-unquote future. because right. like the arm he's says, been, is it future or is it past? Or maybe Mike exactly. says that, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I I fully believe that that's what he's been doing because he would disappear for, you know, amounts of time back 25 years ago. And then they thought he passed away. But we've come to learn that he's obviously been in this alternate dimension and not aging. Yes. Yep. So, yeah, it's just it, it's so cool. It definitely brings up more questions than answers, but really fun questions. And there's just, again, there's just really something touching about how Bobby has grown up. And yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. Just, and the way he reacts to it too. Like you can tell that uh-huh. he feels the love from his father and, and that he knows his yeah. father was just like always looking out for him and very know, touching. So I just, I yes. love Bobby, so I'm super biased about it, but. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you now, I, I think I've already said this, but I'm walking back that Bobby Briggs, <laughs> you know, because I, in the beginning, I said, I don't, I'm not a Bobby or a James girl, but now yeah. I'm like, I'm a yeah. Bobby's girl. <laughs> I know. I think even this season can like sort of retroactively change your opinion on him from the first two seasons, because. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's not fair, but Bobby was just a teenager. I mean, yeah, he killed someone. Let's let's forget about it. <laughs> yeah, let's just we'll just glaze over that. It's let's okay. just whistle past that one. It's obviously yeah. terrible, but I don't know. Bobby was also just like a shitty teenage boy. Like so many teenage boys are shitty. So many teenage girls uh-huh. are shitty. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. But anyways, he's no Chad. Like at least he has Ugh. not grown up to be a Chad. So gosh, fucking Chad. But I, I, I love the way they go inside they get rid of chad and then bobby's like yeah we got to go back outside though (laughs) oh before we get to that though Mm -hmm. i have to point out two things that happened in the briggs home oh yeah okay um hulk and bobby both blink backwards bobby too yes i watched it it. three times okay uh I knew that Hog did it on the first time I watched it. Yeah. Okay. The second time I was doing it to make sure. <laughs> the way listening. he looks back from from Frank to um, shoot, I, I think it's Betty. I think her name is Betty yeah. Briggs. Um, it's it's weird. It's like it's it's definitely in the wrong direction. Like he would be looking it's, the other way before that way. Yeah. I don't know. It's a hundred percent. Well, I when I say blink backwards, yeah, I'm just using it. But yeah, it's the yeah, way yeah, he yeah. looks and. On the third time, I was like, okay, so I I know that Hawk does it. I'm going to watch the others that are in the scene. And as they're moving away from Hawk after he does it, Bobby's kind of in the background. So he's a bit like he's not the focal point because it's moving over to um, Truman. But it's. Right, almost as they're almost done looking at his face, he doesn't actually, like, his blink is backwards. And mm. so, because he doesn't move his head at all. And I was like, okay, I see you and your backwards <laughs> stuff here. Yeah. Because, you know, every scene I'll just be looking at people and I'm like, are you, how are you blinking? What are you doing over there? <laughs> Let me see your facial movement again. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch Bobby. I definitely noticed Hawk. Uh, well, what does it mean? I yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's so, oh my gosh, I just would pull my hair out. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know what it means, right. you know, but yeah. I'm like, what does it mean, yeah. though? Yes, for sure. <sighs> what was the other thing at the Briggs house? Oh, the, no, it was Bobby. Oh, okay. To, the, so the two things were Hawk and, and Bobby. Oh, okay. So. Gotcha, gotcha. I love when, I love how she's asking him the whole time, do you guys want a cup of coffee? Do you guys want a cup of coffee? They say no every time. And then after she's delivered the message, she's like, well, fellas, let's have that cup of coffee. And they all have a good laugh about it. Like they've just been waiting on this coffee. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's true. Cause I was like, you've been saying no this whole time. And now you're like, oh, we're Another, ready for that coffee oh, now. so into it now. Yeah. I don't know. It's so funny. The um, laugh is so funny. It's just, uh, uh, it's so, it's so like heartwarming though. There's something really yes. just like so sweet about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course on the little piece of paper that comes out of the cylinder, it has the number two, five, three. It has like yeah. the peaks of twin peaks. It's got the owl cave symbol. It's got a couple of dates on it. October 1st and October 2nd it talks about Jack mm-hmm. Rabbit's palace. It's the, it's the two Coopers printout that major Briggs had way back when and had shown to Cooper. So that little cylinder is just like full of super juicy stuff. You know what else it has on it? Mm-hmm. It has the same drawing yeah. as that card that Mr. C had. I'm calling it an ant, but I don't think it's supposed to be an ant. Oh, okay. So I, yeah, I probably just called it the owl cave symbol because to me it looks so similar to that, but I think you're probably oh, okay. right. It's not that. It's Or it's it's like a, I don't it know. It's like, like a, a bug almost yeah. with, an, with like antenna. yeah. Maybe like a frog bug. I don't know. I'm, dun, dun, dun. I'm, that really just came to me. But <laughs> but I think you're right. It's not quite the owl cave symbol. It does look a lot more like whatever was on Mr. C's playing card for sure. That's what I mean. It was so small that I was like, it just looks like that to me. So I don't maybe I'm not 100 percent on that, but it just looks very similar. If it's not the exact same, it looked similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're, they're going to be heading over to Jack Rabbit's Palace. Very exciting stuff. Yes. Are they going on the 1st of October? Um, I don't know. Didn't it because didn't say in two days time? Yes. Um, yeah, because he had said that's in two days time. Or, I mean, I don't know, because there was both dates there, right? There was 10-1 and 10-2. True. So. so I was putting this together as if this is happening in the same time as they're interviewing Hastings and it's the 29th of September right and in two days it would be the first of October exactly yeah and that's why I I asked specifically if you could make out the date that Hastings wrote on the page because I was like yeah is because if it's 920 then that's interesting but it's still interesting if it's 929 it gives us like a more concrete understanding of where we're at but yeah. Mm-hmm. So very yeah. interesting. So two days time. Also, I thought this was kind of funny. The because Cooper is written out twice, and we know we've seen that before, right? Yeah. But then afterwards, there's also it looks like it on that piece of paper it was cut off, but there's like C O O. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I thought to myself, because they were like two Coopers, and I was like, two and a half Coopers. There's Dougie, too. <laughs> yes, yeah. But and we never like like really Cooper. got to know him, right? So Exactly. Yes. But that's just me, like, because I was like, well, there's Cooper slash Cooper, and then there's also Coo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, and I, I can't remember from season two or season one, whenever that was, if there was a third Cooper on that page. I know. I can't either. Probably and that, it's been, back to look. I was about to say, it's been bothering me, especially after my last rewatch where I'm like, okay, I'm going to find that episode and I'm going to watch it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, we've got a couple of quick scenes with a couple of the members of the Horn family. Basically, Ugh. all I have here is poor Johnny Horn. Because it really, this is what I'm talking about when we have these, like, weird vignettes. Because it is just Johnny Horn running into the wall. I know. Bless his heart. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Jerry. Jerry and his foot, or not his foot. (laughs) I am not your foot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like, any, any thoughts on that except for he's high again, or? You know what? At this point... It's like I said last week. I don't know if he has reached Max Heidem or <laughs> if something is out there messing around with him because, yeah. like, he could have very well stumbled upon something in the middle of those woods out there. And that, in combination with how much he's been smoking, he might just be on one hell of a trip. <laughs> I mean, for real. And we'll have another quick scene with him in the next episode. I, lo- I love the dialogue that he says there, but we'll get to that. But does the does the voice to you sound at all like the arm? Yes, it does. Right? It sounded just like, well, yeah, the, yes, the arm, the tree. Yeah, the evolution, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sounds just like it to me. Yeah, it's super interesting. And it, I don't know, it's like. Well, that's why I was wondering, did he stumble upon something and he's just so high he doesn't, like, he can't even comprehend what he's stumbled upon here? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's not like he has to be high or stumbled across something. It could absolutely just be both. Yeah, And exactly. he has no way of, I mean, how do you navigate that sober? How in the hell do you navigate that so high off your own supply, right? So, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, Ben and Beverly are still looking for the sound. And Beverly says that he's a good man. I think that's going to come into question at some point. But for now, she thinks he's a good man. So I know. And bless her heart, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then we're going to end things at the Roadhouse with, uh, they don't get names here, but they get names in the credits. It's Ella and Chloe. This is what I meant. So with uh, when I said body parts are revolting, as in like rebelling, that was with uh, Jerry. And then here, body parts are revolting, as in like disgusting. Because whatever is happening under that woman's arm is just not right. It's not okay. She needs to go to the doctor. She needs to get this checked out. She needs a rash cream. She needs something. She needs heavy duty something. (laughs) She needs to quit taking that synthetic uh drug because well, i'm pretty sure that that would be step number one step number two is get you something for that rash because it is disgusting and she was scratching on mm. it and she and said she worked of it Ooh. oh my god and then her saying that she works in the food industry and i was yeah. just 
That was so, the whole thing was disgusting to me. Oh, I know. Because I was like, is she, like, what's, how do you, uh, it's like, you know, there's hair nets. Do you have like a net yeah. for your body that you can wear? You, like, how do you? Ugh, <laughs> and you know, she's scratching burger. it. Yeah. Yeah. So gross. Oh my gosh. I can't. I literally can't. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I definitely think it has something to, they're clearly doing this drug that's going around. I'm, I'm really certain it's called Sparkle, but I don't yeah. know why. Like, I don't think it's been mentioned again, maybe since whenever they were talking about it in like episode three or four or whatever. Um, yeah. But they're clearly doing this drug. They're talking about zebras and penguins, which are yeah. black and white animals. Yes. And what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are your thoughts on this bizarre conversation, basically? Well, I honestly have no idea. I was thinking, is this something that it's either code for something? And I don't mm-hmm. really know what it could be code for. Well, but unless it's code for something to do with the drug or they're hallucinating. <laughs> I right. have no idea. Yeah. It does just sound like a conversation that people have when they are just just not in the right mind, right? Right. But I don't know. I part of me wants to think that this is the drug is somehow coming from lodge spirits somehow because they're talking about like black and white animals and so like Ooh. when they're high they're like seeing a black and white especially the zebra. Like, it's Very not as good. if a zebra has a chevron pattern, but it is a pattern, right? No, but it's a pattern. Yeah, so. I, I love it. I love that. But this is probably, I mean, there's scary stuff in Twin Peaks, but this was, like, the scariest part of this episode to me. Like, the armpit yeah. stuff is just disgusting. Yeah, it was scary, and, I mean, just the general, like, look. On the girl's face yeah. and the actions, and I was, yeah, I was thoroughly creeped out. Yeah. Ugh, like, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know if they did, like, certain makeup to make their skin look so sort of, like, yellowy white in a way. Like, really, like, clearly malnourished and clearly, like, mostly just doing drugs as sustenance, you know? And drinking yeah. alcohol, and it just, like, you could tell that they were... Not physically well. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hello, Johnny. How are you today? Hello, Johnny. How are you today? Hello, Johnny. How are you? All right, well, let's dive into episode 10. Laura is the one. This was, you know, I don't know if it's because we're watching these in twos, so it's just kind of getting. Some of these episodes are getting the same kind of feeling as the one that comes before it, but I felt like this was another one that's not necessarily one of my favorites. I will say it's also another very violent episode, so there's a lot of scenes that are hard to watch. Um, Obviously, that's all very purposeful. They're building this character, right? Um, Richard Horn, basically. Um, But yeah, it it also felt like another one where scenes were strung together in a very curious way. And so I think maybe we're just still sort of dealing with the after effect of episode eight. And I do remember that things start to like steady out uh, from like from the next episode on. And that's not to say that this is a bad episode of television. Like all of these episodes, all of these 18 parts are really some of the best television ever in my opinion, but it's just, yeah, just not, not some of my favorite stuff. What about you? Yeah, this was okay. So 
I don't know if it was the violence in um, hand with the parts that I felt were a little drug out, like the candy parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was it was hard for me. And the the violence was really um, disturbing yeah. for me. And not that that makes it a bad episode by any means. It's necessary because we need to just, as if Richard Horn wasn't shitty enough, we just need the icing on the cake for him where, mm. you know, where he's also a, a, a woman, a, you know, abuser and seems like he hates women. And I just, that whole thing was, and not just Richard, there was a part with Stephen as well, yeah, uh, which was disturbing. And so I I liked the previous episode better than this one. Now there were parts of this episode that I really enjoyed. The interaction with Dougie and Janie E. I liked that. I liked, you know, like some of the Dougie stuff, but the Twin Peaks stuff was really hard yeah. uh, for me this episode. And that's probably why it was because I had to pause this episode a few times the first time around to kind of cleanse my mind a little bit before I picked it back up. Because especially, and not that one negates the other because it's all bad, but especially the violence with Jerry and his grandmother with Johnny there. That was especially hard for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't I don't know why. Maybe because it was so chaotic, that mm. scene. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I feel the same way about this one. It's in no way a bad episode. It's just not one, another not one of my favorites, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of really tough material. And I think that it... It do, you're right. Like it does help to build Richard Horn, and it does help to illustrate how just how bad things have really gotten in Twin Peaks in certain areas, and mm-hmm. you know more of that generational type stuff. And mm-hmm. I think it it makes me think about how certain decisions will continue to sort of reverberate throughout the town for generations to come, and how that's just like a a thing in general when you think about how the world works in that way, you know, like a decision that I make, let's say I had kids will affect my kid will affect their kid will affect that kid's kid. Does that make sense? Like it just, yes, for sure follows down the lines. And so I think that that's just an interesting, like sort of case study type thing. One other thing that I'll say, I think both this episode and last episode in general feel very, plot driven in a way because we do actually get a ton of information like that scene with Bill Hastings gives us a ton of information we find like we see these texts being exchanged between possibly Mr. C and Diane that's a lot of information um the FBI the military and Buckhorn all coming together on the on the investigation these are like things that are converging things are coming together the story is really building at this point And I do Mm. wonder if that's part of the sort of like disjointed feeling because though there was a lot of plot sort of uh, at the depths or, or sort of hidden within part eight, it's not the first thing that comes to you. And I don't think it's the first thing that you think about for the first eight parts. A lot of the first eight parts of this season 
are a little like meandering in, in a purposeful and enjoyable way. In fact, like it really takes those eight parts to kind of set a foundation for what is happening. And all of a sudden it feels like things are a little bit kicking into gear, even though there are still these scenes like candy chasing a fly. (laughs) Right. So I just wonder if like, we're just not used to it. It's like, wow, this is a lot of information and no scene of somebody sweeping for six minutes to kind of like you know, (laughs) chill the vibe out. (laughs) Break it up a bit. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start with the Horn family because they're an absolute fucking mess. Um, So Richard, first thing we see really in the episode is actually Richard attacking Miriam. Um, Mm. The way they talk to each other, I get the sense that like maybe they're the same age. Maybe they went to school together. That's what I thought, too. You I know, was like, she like, knows him yeah. from, I'm thinking, like, they grew up together or right. something. Yeah. But anyways, that's just a brutal attack. Obviously, he just doesn't want any word of what he's done getting out. And But I don't know if you noticed, but Miriam was still breathing when we get that yes. last look at her. So I know. I hope nothing bad comes of her, even though he lit that candle with the Oof. oven door open. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like there was windows open in there. I don't really know how that would all work. I'm not really versed on how, how those things will come <laughs> together and, and physics <laughs> and things. But Hopefully Miriam will be okay. Um, But yeah, it was a brutal attack. It was hard to watch for sure. Or hard to listen to, I guess. That's the other thing is that I think by not showing us, it's almost worse. Because your imagination is just filling in the gaps, right? For sure. And the sound is there and yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Like that, that is what is so creepy is listening to it and not seeing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can just fill your head with so many different things. There's no, there's no concrete answer of what it actually looked like. Right. Uh, Right. Exactly. What he actually did. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, I mean, Richard heads over, he assaults and like robs his own grandmother. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so unsettling. And, and I do have to say, I find myself very frustrated with the Horn family because they have money and yet Johnny is reduced to a man that gets tied to a chair because they cannot possibly. So like they don't have enough money to get help for this man. Like they don't have enough money to like, I just think like a a failure has been done on Johnny Horn's part. And I don't know if I should blame Sylvia or if I should blame Ben or if I should blame the mental health access in Twin Peaks, which I have no idea what that is like, but I just feel like they could be doing a lot more for this poor man. I know, like when I, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not laughing at it, but I was almost astounded when I saw him tied to that chair with, you know, and I was like, I know that in the last episode, he somehow got, you know, loose or she said who let him out and he hurt himself. But even sitting there with that weird teddy bear thing, I was, I was just like, what's the point of this i mean this this man is just sitting here in front of this thing tied to a chair with his arms tied up and listening to this thing ask him how he is over and over and over again it's oh that and that's why i said i think that that's why that scene was so chaotic it wasn't just richard assaulting his grandmother but it was also Johnny fell over and he was upset and he was, you know, and I don't know, like he couldn't 
make like he could only make noise and then that thing was just repeating over and over oh, the whole thing was just like it was very intense absolutely and that's I mean I think that's what we mean like it's really hard to watch that scene but it's not as though yeah. it was like poorly done or anything I mean exactly. look at all the layers that have been put into making that scene so uncomfortable and so intense mm-hmm. and so I mean it just keeps building and building and building and building And I think anyone knows that feeling when there's a sound that just keeps happening and it drives you fucking crazy. And the more it happens, like after 10, okay, like you're getting irritated. After 20, you're like, all right, that's got to stop now. But like after 30, 45 times, you want to, you just want to bash it. Like you just want to get rid of that sound, however you're going to get rid of it. And it builds like in this scene. It's just so, like you said, it's just so intense the way that it builds up like that. But yeah, I mean. Richard is awful. The language that he uses is disgusting. The way he treats his family is disgusting. What's interesting, I mean, I don't know if that's the right word. I feel like he pays zero attention to Johnny. Like, there's very little almost acknowledgement that he's even there. Yeah, exactly. Because I was thinking to myself, if he's so upset and he's on such a rampage You would think that the first thing or one of the first things he would do is like knock that bear over Mm. and like stop that because you would think why he wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like and so that's why I was like, is he just so hyper focused on the woman and being abusive to the woman? And then in because he said something really offhand and gross and I can't remember it because I blocked it out of my memory, but I know he said something gross and offhand about Johnny as well. Like he do something to him if she didn't get the money or I can't, can't recall what he exactly said, but I remember being like, Oh my God, like, could you be any more vile? You disgusting, disgusting person. I wrote down that he is literally rotten inside. He is something that is not correct about the way that, this human Mm-mm. came into the world and what Mm-mm. what grew inside of him, you know? And that's why I still maintain that he's Mr. C's son. <laughs> yep. I mean... But I could be wrong. It, I mean, I know that we don't know that yet, but I, that, I just... I mean, how could... That's the only other super, super rotten person that I've seen is Mr. C. Yeah, and I mean, there's other clues there, right? I think we talked about it in episode seven, I think. Right, right. Like where Doc he Hayward was and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it hasn't been officially confirmed yet. No, but I mean, he... Yeah, I mean, we know his last name's Horn. He's got a connection here. It is really weird how when Sylvia calls to tell Ben what has happened, I mean, clearly they've gotten a divorce in this time. Yes. Um, And the way that Ben will not, like, what is Sylvia supposed to do with all of her money? Like, how is she even, for the little care that she's been giving to Johnny, how is she supposed to keep caring for Johnny if Ben is not going to help her out? I mean, exactly. It's I mean, that's very his frustrating. Son. Yes, I it know. Is his son. I know. And it's so. And this is what I meant when Beverly says that Ben is a good man. I'm like, is he though? Like, yeah. I get it. This family dynamic must be very frustrating. You've got a son that has a lot of 
um, you, you know, like needs a lot of care, a lot of attention. You've clearly got, I mean, whether it's a grandson or a nephew or whatever it might be, this kid that's like just vile and disgusting. Like it's not, it's not a super fun family that you're connected to, but also Ben, you're not the greatest dude either. So maybe this is another one of those generational ancestral things that you've passed down, you know, like maybe take some responsibility. Mm -hmm. So when he asks Beverly to go to dinner, I'm just like, whatever, Ben, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) Ben, I had a little hope in the last episode. I know. And then you blew it. Yep. Um, It's definitely their grandson, though, because when Richard first pulls up, I guess it's the guard at the gate. He's like, okay, Miss Horn, your grandson is good. Because earlier I said that Richard like assaults and robs his own grandmother. And I was like, shit, should I have called him by that? Like, you know, yes. Relationship. But yeah, they did confirm that in this one by saying your grandson is on his way. So I was like, okay. So, pretty sure, obviously, this is Audrey's son, some way or another. Because, you know what I was thinking? some way or another, you know? Like, I mean, I don't... The lack of attention that Richard pays to Johnny, I think, says something that, like, that's not his dad. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I don't know what kind of cruel world it would be if, if Johnny did have a child in some way. Like, that just... Doesn't seem right, if that makes sense, you know? Well, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Not that the way Audrey potentially could have Mm, had mm -mm. him would be any different, but, you know, it's circumstantial. Johnny's in such a a shitty place, unfortunately, that he has to be tied to a chair. I don't know that he could consent even. Not that I don't think Audrey did either, uh, but Johnny couldn't as well. That's what, yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, not that Audrey would be much, much different, but, you know, yeah, so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then the final thing with the Horn family is Jerry. He's still out in the woods. He has no <laughs> service. And he says, you can't fool me. I've been here before. Yeah. What was that? I don't know. I don't know if he's talking to the woods or like something unforeseen or not unforeseen, but something we can't see, but that he sees. Yeah. Like if it's a if it's a hallucination or something, or if he's actually seeing something that we don't see, or if he's just maybe even talking to his own mind, saying like, "I've been this high before. I can handle it." You know, <laughs> I don't know, but he's uh, he's not having a good day out there in the woods. No, the mystery continues yeah. between uh, Jerry and how high he really is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, And then we get a quick scene at the sheriff's department where Chad is looking out for the mail. He's, he does not do this very covertly. It makes me wonder who hired him. (laughs) Like, because he does not, first of all, I don't know if you noticed this, but he doesn't even take the right letter. So he's a moron. Um, Yeah. But he's so obvious about what he's doing. Now, Lucy may not have picked up on it. Because it's Lucy, and Lucy tends to pay attention to different things in conversations than, you know, always what's right in front of her. But Chad does not do a good job at this. No. Fucking Chad, man. Okay. Not only did he bumble this, and maybe he did it on purpose. I don't know. 
I mean, he could be wanting to. I, I don't get Chad. I mean, like <laughs> I, I get it, but I don't get Chad. He's so. I am so sick of seeing him on yes. my screen. Yes. But he also did something that really pissed me off. I mean, and when I say really pissed me off, I mean I was fuming. He touched two donuts. <gasps> did he? He Gross. took. Yeah, when he said, this calls for another donut. And when he went to pick up the one, he touched two donuts. And I was like, Chad, nobody wants to eat a donut that your nasty fingers Mm -hmm. have been on. No, because, I mean, first of all, he was just touching the mail. The mail is not clean. Mm -hmm. But also, Mm -hmm. I doubt Chad washes his hands. Oh, no. He's he's not hygienic at Mm -hmm. all. I know this. No. I don't know know this, but I know this. But you can just tell. Like, he's a little bit slime personified, so you can kind of tell that he just doesn't wash his hands. 100%. But Lucy's also, like, she's having this interesting conversation sort of with herself about time (laughs) and saying, like, you know, sometimes there's not even time to think about certain things or, you know, one time we thought the clock had stopped and then we realized that we didn't even know what time it was. And I don't really know what it all means, but it's interesting to listen to Lucy talk about time. Yes, I agree. I also don't know what it means, but I was, I took notes of that and I was like, okay, Lucy. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, we'll see what comes out with I that. I think it's, like, very purposeful that she got to a certain point in that story and then Chad cut her off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Anyways. All right. Last. Uh, well, there's a couple of things, but they're all just sort of more of these, like, little miscellaneous, like, vignette type scenes. Like, we've got one at the trailer park where Carl is singing such a beautiful song and then it's, like, interrupted by... Steven screaming at Becky, like, I don't know what else to say about that scene except for that it's terrifying and it's like, it's just as bad as Leo and Shelly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was not happy with that, obviously, either. No. And of course, he throws a red mug out the window. It's gotta be red. Yes. And the song is Red River Valley. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I love that part. It's so beautiful, his singing. I, I'm always he's mad a, when it gets cut off. I know. He's got a beautiful voice. Yeah. Ugh. And then we've got a little, little scene with Dr. Amp. He's just talking more about conspiracy theories and pharmaceutical companies. And what's interesting is that like, I feel it's so timely for right now with all of this COVID stuff because <laughs> I know that there are people out there that are... I mean, dealing with just their own thoughts and their own thinking around what pharmaceutical companies are up to. I don't want to put judgment on anyone thinking um, or anyone sort of, uh, I don't know, train of thought around it. But, like, I think Dr. Amp has some good points here. You know, like, pharmaceutical companies take advantage 100%. You know, they want money. But, again, he's doing it in a way that's, like, very performative and fear-mongering and not helpful in the end. But I do love that we see Nadine's store. I know. She has her silent drapery store. (laughs) Run silent, run drapes. (laughs) Oh, Nadine. And she's drinking a milkshake. And you know I just love her so much. Even though she's sitting there watching Dr. 
amp, uh, you know. And and what is it that she said? He's so, oh, I wish I had wrote oh, this down. yeah, what does she say? Um, I don't know. It's like, it's not beautiful, but it's along the same it's, lines. Like, it's it's the along same kind of those sentiment. lines. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, Nadine. <laughs> but I think it's so lovely that we see that she got her store up and running and I know. I was and so excited for her. the only thing in her display window is a gold shovel. Is a shit shovel. Yep. A dig yourself out of the shit shovel. <laughs> now, when you when Dr. Amp was going on and on, did mm. you catch the red balloon? I did not. <laughs> oh, no. Where was the red balloon? Oh. <laughs> no, he, he said it in his. He mention of red balloon, right? He, yes. he did. He said something like popped like a big red balloon. Mm-hmm. Just another, I mean, probably is nothing, but just, you know, putting these things in there. But I was like, there's a red balloon. (laughs) Still on red balloon watch, that's for sure. Yes. And then the final scene in Twin Peaks is between the log lady and Hawk. And it's just another one of her beautiful monologues talking about electricity humming. uh, But the glow is dying. And to me, this kind of was like the lodge spirits are maybe getting more powerful. and. When she talks about the glow, I think about the golden orb and Laura and how, like, maybe yes. that part of things is is not faring too well in the fight against these lodge spirits. But oh, no. um, the Truman brothers are true men, and they're your brothers. <laughs> oh, I know. And, her whole uh, message. Yeah, I know. It's, all, it's always really sweet. Like, I love her monologues. We're going to get a couple more, and they're just always really... I don't know. It's like poetry almost. Like it's just really beautifully constructed. And when he said, or when she said that they were your brothers, I was thinking like, oh, maybe she's talking about the bookhouse boys, you know, because that's like a Mm. brotherhood in a way or, and then she talks about the dream of time and space, which I think is super interesting and saying Laura is the one. So lots of juicy details, but no way of like putting them all sort of together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I know. But, oh, it's just, she's very calming and she's very Mm. soothing. And Mm. I love to hear her when she goes on her monologues. And they just make me feel calm inside. Yes. I don't know. Yes. It's like there's, hmm. It's like a gentle hand is, like, guiding you, saying, like, it'll actually come together. It's going to be okay. Yeah. You know? Like, exactly. It's kind of like the way Mr. Mr. Briggs, I always say that, Major Briggs could <laughs> foresee so much and right. planned for so much. It's like the same kind of, yeah, gentle guiding force. Yes, yes. Love the log lady. I know. She's just the sweetest. Candy, go get him. You want me to bring him here? Yeah. What did he just say? You want me to get him and bring him here. All right, well, let's head to Las Vegas where Janie E. sees Dougie in a new light Mm -hmm. uh, while the Mitchum brothers set their sights on Mr. Jones. But first, let's talk about Candy. So, what are your thoughts on Miss Candy? I mean, this is another bless your heart situation, okay? Like... She, I don't know if she's on something (laughs) or if she is just that fruity. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I, all I kept thinking was just bless this girl's heart. I mean, she cannot get right to save her life. (laughs) 
mean, she hits him in the face trying to get a fly. Then she goes out on the floor and it's like, you know, she talks forever and ever and ever. And then they try to ask her something else later on. And it's like, hello, hello. <laughs> just like. I know. They, these pink ladies, they like, they, they distress me in a way because I can't. Yeah. I can't like make heads or tail of heads or tail of it. Like what, what are they? What's going on here? I mean, two of them are completely silent. Candy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most of what she says, most of what she says feels almost regurgitated. Like when she, when she, when they ask her, what were you talking to him about? She's talking about the weather report that was on their TV. But the weather report was muted. Like, yes. And when she talks about the, so I looked up the version layer, which is actually the inversion layer, which is just like a meteorological, oh boy, it's a weather thing. Um, Uh (laughs) That's like meteorologists. I don't know. <laughs> we can that, keep, we can move off from that. But like illogical, meteorological, meteorological. Uh-uh, yeah. that's yeah, that's not happening. It. We're nailing yeah. it. Yeah, but it's yeah. basically a term that just means like a a change or like an un um, when the weather isn't basically what it should be at that time. Mm. And so that's why oh. she's talking about how like oh it's this heat wave and we're so lucky to have the air conditioning, but. She just says the word wrong. It's inversion layer. And she says, we're in the version layer, which is really <laughs> cute. But it's also like, how did you pick that up? Because it was on, like, you were crying. Your face was in your hands. The weather report was on mute. Because they only turned it on when the news segment came on, right? Exactly. So it's just like, I don't know how she's getting this information. The way she, like, um, says, how could you ever love me after what I've done? Feels yeah. like a line of dialogue from like a movie or something. Yeah. And it's very clear, although whatever sort of arrangement the Mitchum brothers have with these pink ladies is definitely strange. You, like it's, I don't know if I would condone it or if I would say that it's okay. I'm not sure. It's a very strange relationship. But yeah. it's clear that like they're not in danger. I mean, she smacks them in the face and the reaction is, it's okay. I'm okay. Yeah, you know? like so he's like, not mad. He's not even mad at all. And even later, like when they're frustrated with how long she's taking to bring Anthony back to the office, they make a comment like, yeah, but if we fire her, she's got nowhere to go. Like, exactly. It's not like they're overly nurturing towards her or anything, but I do get the sense that like they care for her in some way. So I don't yes. know why she would be like, how could you ever love me? You know, like everything she says feels like it's from something else. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree it, with that. And I wonder, like, are these pink ladies manufactured in some way? Like they feel robotic. They sure do. They feel like the fembots from Awesome mm, Powers. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. I haven't thought about those in like oh, years. <laughs> I it literally just came to my mind when you when you said manufactured. I was like, huh. Well, we'll know when I guess uh, 
guns appear out of their nipples in the next episode. (laughs) And they shoot people up. Oh my goodness. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. They, they distress me in a weird way. They make me uncomfortable, but they're also, but it is also like funny in a way what they do because you're just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, they had a hit out on Ike, I guess, but they're pretty pleased that they can save some money by calling off the hit. I and, know. And <laughs> uh, they've got basically Anthony. I Sorry, I had failed to mention that there was a scene where um, Duncan Todd, basically, somehow he is also in cahoots with Anthony from Lucky 7 Insurance. And, you know, basically Anthony now has to frame Dougie or he's going to have to kill Dougie himself. And even this scene feels like it's from like a, I don't know, like some sort of Goodfellas movie or something where he's like, you have an enemy in Mr. Jones. Like, it's like I so know. ominous the way he says it. I know. I know. I agree with that. It, it does feel like scenes out of movies. Which only like kind of adds to the whole vignettes strung together kind of thing, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I read this really fascinating article about season three and the theory behind it was, Watching season three is like having somebody uh, constantly flipping channels. So you get like different genres of television coming through in each episode. And then you get a little bit into one of the stories and the channel has changed. I love that. I think it's so on point. I don't know if it fits for everything, but as like an overall theory, it makes a lot of sense. And I... You know, because seasons one and two, I mean, David Lynch knew what he was doing and Mark Frost, they knew what they were doing back then. They were really creating a show that dealt a lot with like the soap opera genre, right? Mm -hmm. And would play off Mm -hmm. of those tropes and those themes. And I think now they're doing the same thing, but TV has become so expanded in the 25 years since that show was on, right? So there's so many different genres that you could really play off of. And I mean, even the violence in the show, I feel like is somehow sort of holding up a mirror to us and being like, you've seen how violent TV is, right? And like how some of it's just so purposeless. And I don't know, even just, um, even just Sam and Tracy watching the box, like, yeah, they're just watching a screen. Exactly. I love, I actually really love that because it, and like you said, it's not every single thing, but it is like channels flipping. That's especially how it's felt in these last two episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the article was written after episode six. And I just remember thinking like, oh, wow, I wonder what they thought after nine and 10, (laughs) because it's even more apparent here. But yeah, maybe I'll link the article if people are interested, because it was definitely an interesting read. Yes, um, I would love to read that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Where do we leave off? Just talking about, yeah, all that stuff. Anything else with the Mitchum brothers that you wanted to touch on? Or they, It's pretty cut and dry what they're trying to do here is is basically get rid of Dougie at all costs. Yeah. So yeah. I'm calling in protection for Dougie. Nothing will ever happen to him, hopefully. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah. I don't know. He's got a lot of, like, lodge spirits and a lot of humans looking out for him, right? So True. And yeah. he's like a cobra. Yes. He will move like a cobra when he needs to. That guy was no victim. <laughs> Douglas Jones? Oh, no. He was no victim. <laughs> he moved like a cobra. <laughs> well, so speaking of Dougie, uh, 
Dougie yeah. and Janie head over to the doctor. Janie loves what she sees at the doctor's office. And I mean, I cannot blame her. Kyle McLaughlin is in fantastic shape. Yeah. Uh, and then basically they have sex. And it's such a it's such an interesting scene because I mean, I don't think Janie E purposely takes advantage of Dougie. But Dougie's also not in his right mind. But also, if Janie E knew that this wasn't really her husband, I think she would be mortified. I, like, yeah. I don't know. It's such an interesting, like, complex little scene that I don't think has, like, one right answer to it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do think that she still thinks it's him. Of course, and that yeah. And that he's just having one of his spells. But, man, and I'll tell you, this was the moment, not going to lie, where I thought, all right, we're probably not getting Cooper back for a while because if this didn't wake him up and have him snap out of the Dougie zone, then you know what? I'm just going to start accepting it and I'm just going to start loving Dougie. for because, he, because even after that, when he repeats to her, you know, like, love you, I I just, I don't know. I, I'm starting to get a really big soft spot for, for Dougie oh, Cooper. I you know? especially loved that because... Dougie doesn't repeat everything, you know, like you, yeah. you start to get the sense or you start to feel like he does because it is, I mean, he does repeat a lot of people's words, but when she's asking, oh, do you find me attractive? What do you think? Da, 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 like he doesn't repeat. He just keeps eating his chocolate cake. And yet <laughs> later when she says, love you, he does repeat that. And there's I know. just something so sweet about that. I know. And I mean, it- he must have been looking damn good eating that chocolate cake. He was playing hard to get. <laughs> when he didn't answer her, she's like, oh, you're going to play hard to get, I see. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Just the way his arms were just, like, flopping from side I to know. side. The look on his face. I mean, he's clearly enjoying himself. <laughs> yes. Ugh. Listen. Poor Sunny Jim, though. <laughs> oh, you get out of my notes. I, I literally wrote, poor Sonny Jim. <laughs> that kid, I mean, he's had, a, he's had a weird couple of days. Bless his heart, too. But I'm telling you, I, <laughs> the way that he, his arms were flapping, like you said, and just his head was bobbling around and everything, I, I know I wasn't supposed to be laughing in that moment, but I was having a, a great chuckle. How do you not chuckle at that grin on his face? <laughs> I mean, it was wonderful. Hey, good on you, Dougie. I'm glad for you. And you, Jane, <laughs> and Jane e. e. Yeah. 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 It yeah. seems like she hasn't had, you know, something like that in quite a while. I don't so. think she's had much affection from her husband in, yeah, I mean, maybe since before Sunny Jim. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So. Because he was good spending for all you. time with Jade, so. No. Oh, that's true. And gambling and drinking and yep. not taking care of himself because the doctor was like, you're in great shape. And I was like, yes. Yes, this man is. Yeah, wow. He looked good. <laughs> he did. are over in Buckhorn for real this time. Uh, Gordon Cole has some <laughs> visitors and connections are made in more ways than one. The first one being Constance and Albert enjoying a drink together. I love this. Oh. It's so cute. I know. They looked so sweet together, they didn't really they? They really did. Yeah. 
I feel like it's just such a match. I was going to say made in heaven, but obviously made in the morgue. But I mean, it's just <laughs> like nobody, I think, I think maybe besides Gordon Cole, nobody really gets Albert's humor. And as we had seen, nobody got Constance's humor. Like from yeah. the get-go, she was always like pulling out these one-liners about her job and stuff. And I just think they could make each other so happy. I wish she had pulled the headline um, joke on him. I would have loved to have seen Ugh, his reaction to that. Would have been so good. <laughs> but that is just a quick little scene. Then we're up in, like, I guess Gordon's hotel room, and he's drawing. I don't know. What did you think he was drawing? Well, I thought, okay, I don't know what the creature was. At first I thought, is that a deer? But then I was like, I don't really no it looks like a dog deer reptile thing yeah. i don't <laughs> it was so odd but the hand mm-hmm. for some reason it made me think of laura palmer in the waiting room or in the red room when she says meanwhile mm. for some reason it's yeah. not he didn't draw it you know like the way that her hands are but that's the only in other instance of like an arm and a hand, I guess, other than us talking about the arm. Right. But yeah, that's the only thing that came to mind for me was just the arm. But, yeah, that's true, too. But it's a tree now. So I don't know. Right. Maybe the antlers were supposed to represent that part of it. But yeah, I, oh, I don't know. Interesting. OK, because I, I don't know. I was thinking that it was some weird it wasn't the frog. It wasn't the frog no. bug. But I was like, it's something odd. Yeah. I'm not sure. It feels like something that he didn't really know he was drawing either for some reason. Like he was just letting his hand uh-huh. move where it was supposed to go. But exactly. then he like, it is Albert at the door. But first we see Laura Palmer. And I think <sighs> this is either the scene. It's a scene from Firewalk with me for sure. It's either when she's hiding in the bushes or when she goes to Donna's house asking, like, are you my best friend? All that kind of stuff. Can, could you tell what scene it was? Yeah, I thought it was the scene where she was at Donna's house. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, that makes that's more what sense it reminded me of. Because she's like in a doorway there as well. Yes, yes. So that that's the connection that I made, even though I guess. Could be the bush as well, but it would make. I think it would make more sense if it was the doorway yeah. scene. Yeah, and I think it's Sarah that's calling out Laura. Yes, but anyways, I mean, any thoughts on why Gordon sees that? No, I had. No- <laughs> Listen, when that ha- first of all, that scared me when it happened. Yeah, I like. I gasped. It's so unexpected. So- it was so unexpected, um, and then I thought. Why would he be having visions of her? And I guess after that happened, that's why when I started wondering if the arm or that hand or whatever was supposed to be like Laura's, I don't know. But okay, yeah, I have no, I I have no basis for that claim or why he even would be imagining or yeah. or having that vision. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well. Let's just talk about what Albert brings then. He, so clearly they were on to something or maybe they never trusted Diane from the start, but they've been monitoring her, you know, text messages or phone use or whatever. And who, 
whoever she got the text from, she has responded and said they have Hastings and they're going to go to the site. Or I guess they're going to take him to the site or whatever. Anyways, that's basically what the text says. Any thoughts on yeah. that? Well, I was like, who is, who is she talking to? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to be upset at Diane. <laughs> but... I mean, I just cannot for the life of me think of why she would be working or giving this information to Mr. C. So, yeah, if it's a middle person, that's why I was thinking if it's a mole, like someone that's going to feed some of this information to Mr. C. And then he's going to show up somewhere and they're going to be able to capture him. I don't really know how. I I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go down. But I mean, this is just another like. There's so much, like, we're getting so much in these episodes about all of these little details, right? But it's, like, you can't really do anything with it yet, I guess. Like, it is just information, whereas the information we got in Part 8, let's say, there was so much you could do with it. There was so much you could, I don't know, just have your own theories about or right. bring up themes and stuff. But this is, it really just is like, okay, Diane is in contact with somebody, maybe Mr. C. Why? Not sure, but they're on the case, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but they know, so. Yeah. Yeah, and then the <sighs> last thing is that uh, Tammy has a photo of Mr. C at the box in New York City. Now, was this when it was being built or was this or is this a time where he came through that portal as well? Not sure. He's talking to somebody in the photo, but I I don't remember. Yeah, it was somebody I hadn't seen before. Okay, yeah, I was I was trying to get at. I wasn't sure if it's somebody that I just didn't recognize or if it's somebody that we hadn't seen yet or, or whatever. But yeah, I hadn't seen this person yet. So that's why I was like, well, was this the beginning or was this what the last guy saw that? Hmm. Um, all, you know, I yeah. don't know. Because we don't know what happened to that guy. It does seem like, I mean, I don't know if this is just because this is what we know about Mr. C, but he seems to be in like a giving orders type of position almost. But again, uh-huh. maybe that's just because really all we see of Mr. C is him telling other people what to do. So True. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. But I mean, in some ways this... I mean, this at least links him with the box, right? So whether yeah. whether he came through it himself or whether he was setting it up, it definitely gives us, again, this is just more stuff where it's like, okay, this is a thing. It's confirming, but it's not really, I don't know, we need more information. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, if that's all for the week, I've got to be heading to Jack Rabbit's Palace. And I've got to get some coordinates to the major. See you in the zone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Damn Fine TV Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Come hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at Damn Fine TV. You can find me on Instagram at the.written.witch and Mel's at Superficial Mel's. And if you're watching TV, make sure it's Damn Fine TV. Damn, fine. TV. I don't think that you can get too much Twin Peaks.